Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I get the great pleasure of talking to Angela Breidenbach today and we're going to talk about beliefs and one of the things that I think is so amazing about Angela is she has her own business. She is a best-selling author. She is got positions that are so incredibly powerful and I'm always amazed about her belief in what she can do and what she has said to me about empowering me in my own business. It's really fun, Angela, to be your friend. It's really fun to work with you. I love when we partner up on work because you're super positive all the time and you just have this unshakable belief and it comes across in everything you do. Thank you. Wow. I think I'm going to ask you to just tell that to all my kids. and. <laughs> No, I really appreciate that because I love working with you. You just make everything easy. Oh, we just do this and we just do this. Got it? Got it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, but don't you think if you overthink too much, like if I think about all the things that could go wrong, like even just getting together for this broadcast today, you know, internet could go out, the computer could crash, the radio station in Texas could have a tornado. Like there's a million things that could go wrong and generally they don't. Yeah. And when they do, and I have had them happen, everybody's pretty cool about it. And then they're just like, okay, well, let's just do that over again. You know, cause I've had times when I've had storms going through Montana and it knocked out my internet, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, can we reschedule? <laughs> but you know, life just happens and you just make happen what you need to make happen. And that's where I think I keep getting told by people, oh, that's not possible. It's not possible. And I'm like, well, I'll find a way. Right. You know, there's no reason why. I think there's a, sometimes there's, there's a personality type that you just, you'll find a way. And right. sometimes I think it's not necessarily your personality, but that you've been hit with so many storms from life that you have to constantly be finding your way through the maze of life. And you figure out, well, if I couldn't go that way, I'll go this way. You right. Know? But that's life. Like, you know, when I look at, at, you know, how our beliefs shape our reality, you know, it's amazing to me that, you know, I did this thing with my kid um, a couple months ago, my 15 year old, because he's kind of in that 15 year old angst thing and <laughs> everything's stupid. Everything's negative. Like the world is going to end tomorrow. You know, like all this stuff, you know, he had all these protein bars hidden in his drawer. And I said, what are those doing in there? I said, why aren't they down in the kitchen? He goes, mom, what if there's an apocalypse? And I'm like, <laughs> we're not going to go in your bedroom. You know what I mean? But, but yeah. he had created this whole fear bubble. And I said, you know, Max, when you go out into the world, your belief shapes your reality. And he's like, oh yeah, right, mom. Sure. So <laughs> we went grocery shopping. And I said, Max, today I'm going to show you how your beliefs shape your reality. And I said, right now you're sulking because you know, you got to be in the car with me grocery shopping, but do me a favor. And I want you to smile and acknowledge everyone we walk by. I want you to say something positive, say something polite. And we did, and we did the grocery shopping. And then we stopped at a, a store, a Ross, you know, discount store to get something. I forget like socks and, you know, I'm picking through the socks and stuff. He starts talking with some guy. They start talking about video games. We walk out the store and he's like, mom, I can't get wait to get home and download this new thing. And download this is da, da, da. And he's yammering away in the front seat. And I'm like, 
Do you think you would have gotten that great information and had this positive experience if you walked around like a six foot five thundercloud? Right. You know, and you could see right there that his engaging with everyone created a different reality than he would if he had stuck his fingers in his pocket and sulked and shrugged and, you know, snorted throughout the whole process. It's so true. And there's times when other people, their reality basically rains on your parade and you've got to, you know, pull it together and find a way to be positive when other people are telling you it's impossible right? or, you know, dogging you for something. Cause I mean, you get public with anything uh, and it doesn't matter what it is. You get public with anything and somebody wants to make that not good, you know? Right. Or poke a hole in it or rain on your parade like the trolls. Right. Right. No, the internet trolls. That's exactly you know what I'm thinking about that. Or you go to an event and you're trying so hard to be nice and positive and you hear somebody say something negative to or about you, you know, yes. that's when you've got to really pull down deep. I tend to go into prayer. Me too. Um, and I, but sometimes I find that even that can be, uh, that I can't find it yeah. <laughs> oh, every now and again. It's like, you just, you start to go that negative and it's, it's something that you have to be aware of and pull yourself back from the brink because it's, it's really difficult. You can't control everybody, everything and every circumstance that's happening around you, you know? And at the, at my uh, stepdaughter's wedding this last Saturday, uh, we had weather that was going to be thunderstorms. And then all of a sudden the, the weather app said it wasn't. And we're like, Oh yay, no problem. No problem. And of course at four o'clock, the time of the wedding, we had a huge sudden cloud come up and a thunderburst and it rained all over the wedding. (laughs) And so it, but what was really interesting was as soon as we started laughing, everybody in the uh, audience, or I don't know what you call that when you had an outdoor wedding, but every, all of the guests started laughing and we went ahead with the wedding in the rain and it, it was the best story. And I have one of the best pictures of the groom at the front waiting for his bride, by the way, she was gorgeous with his hands just held up toward the sky. Like, what do I do? <laughs> you know? Right. What do you do? And then everybody after that, that heard that it rained on the wedding said, Oh, don't you know, that's good luck. And I was like, that's really interesting. And then, and everybody's like, well, why is it good luck? And the only, you know, the only thing I could think of is that God is raining down blessings from heaven. There you go. You know, and it was just so cool because now they have this wonderful story that will go on for the rest of their lives. And probably to their children's lives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how, um, it's amazing to me how, you could look at that scenario and go, it rained on my wedding day. It ruined my dress. It ruined my hair. It rained on my wedding day and it made a great story and everybody pulled together and had a great time anyway. And what a great Testament to the human spirit. Like you really could go, what's your interpretation of those two events? Yep. And we ended up laughing and dancing in the rain. It was hilarious. So Fred Astaire or whoever was doing their, who did singing in the rain? I don't remember. Yeah, 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 that was, <laughs> yeah you know, Gene but, Kelly, Gene Kelly, Gene yeah. Kelly. That's right. You know, but it's a yeah. choice. Yeah. Like that was the one thing that I, I really, um, I really want to drive home today is all the choices that we have 
when we really don't realize how much choice we have and how to feel, how to think. And, you know, I really want to thank our sponsor today because they're a really cool company. You've heard of them, I'm sure. It's LinkedIn, but it's LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And, and you know, when I think about marketing, you know, I want to reach the right professionals the right way. And when I think of the LinkedIn marketing solutions, it's a place where you can stand out against this like huge backdrop of stand-up brands. And it has exactly the people you're looking for. And even better, they're looking for you, you know, because people voluntarily go on LinkedIn for a reason, for something. And it's a great place to move your customer relationships forward. I think you're right. LinkedIn ads can help drive results that marketers care about. And when you're building your brand all the way to converting revenue and driving growth, when you advertise on LinkedIn, the world's largest professional community, you have the opportunity to build real true long-term relationships with your customers. I mean, you communicate back and forth through messaging or through, you can even do blog posts on there. Well, and look at you and me, you know, like our relationship has developed into, you know, all these great opportunities for both of us and we grow and, you know, when we collaborate together, we get high quality leads, we get website traffic, you know, we get brand awareness and that's just you and me. That's true. I know, like imagine, like when I think about the LinkedIn community, there's 600 million professionals on LinkedIn. And just to give you an idea of what those numbers mean, in 2018, the USA had a population of 324 million. Japan had 127 million. Germany, 82 million. And the UK, 66 million. Add all those up. And you're still not the size of LinkedIn. I mean, isn't that (laughs) phenomenal? It's amazing to me because, you know, people are making decisions, they are practicing their hands-on work, and they are building up the leaders of tomorrow. They're the future leaders, and they are learning about your brands on LinkedIn. It's a powerful targeting tool, and it's been helping people zero in on reaching the right audience, right down to their job titles, their company names, their industry, and more. It's been amazing. I get messages even today um, to take a look at different businesses to see if I want to be involved with them. It's really a phenomenal tool. To, um, well, and they're not just random junk. Like that's the thing about target marketing. Like when your message, you know, because I am a branding, I'm an internet brand strategist and a marketing specialist. And that's why our shows do so well, because the better your target market identification is, the better message you create and the create a message the customer cares about. And then that leads to building trust and fellowship and community with your customers, because at some point, Angela, you and I have been customers of each other's businesses. Yeah, we have. And then we got to know each other. We both use LinkedIn. We both market our products all over. And to know that there's 62 million business decision makers on LinkedIn, even if we have less than 1% of that brought into our fold, and they're like you and me, imagine what our businesses could do. It was shocking to me to find out how many connections I even had because I I wasn't paying attention that I was connecting with real people and I can go read their profile every single time to make sure that's someone that has a connection that um, makes sense for me too. And it's been really nice to be able to do that because I feel like I'm building real relationships that really matter and and to have 71% 
of, of people using that information from LinkedIn to make more informed business decisions. It just makes sense. It is. It is phenomenal. And, you know, we've got this great promotion going on from LinkedIn. And to redeem your free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash coach talk. That's linkedin.com slash coach talk and get your free $100 ad credit. Now there's terms and conditions apply. You'll have to go read about them. Right, of course, everywhere. But, you know, for your book publishing, you know, industry, for my tech industry, for my radio industry, there is nothing better. Like, I'm going to use my own radio promotion ad credit. Why would I not? Why wouldn't I try it? That's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, because here's, again, belief. You know, you could take a belief about this ad and go, yeah, you know, it's just another ad, just another promotion. Or Mm -hmm. you could go, wow. LinkedIn is one of these specialists, they target market. So why wouldn't they come on a business show? Why wouldn't they come on a business show talking about marketing and beliefs and business building? I mean, it's a match made in heaven. And, you know, when we talk about business building and belief, one of the things that is really, um, really powerful for me is I don't like to share my new ideas with anyone until they're fully formed because they're like, you know, I grew up in the country and I grew up in, in farm country and when the field started to burst up with little teeny shoots from the corn plants. Yeah. They're like so pretty green. They're like a, like a field full of little corn babies and they're so <laughs> tender and they're so gentle and pretty and beautiful and there's when I so go much home in those little things, yes, they're beautiful. And, and there's so much life and potential and hope in them. Yeah. And then I take my boys home and they stomp on them and I get so mad at them, but it reminds me of the people that are in our sphere of influence. Everybody has them who are going to stomp and kill your baby idea before it has a chance to grow. I'm really careful with those baby ideas. Um, I have very few people that I, that I will trust with those ideas because I know they're not going to tell anybody else. They're going to let me, what if the idea to death until it's fully formed. And that includes, like, I, I know I can go to critique groups, um, but I have very few people that I trust in critique groups because I know that when I share something with them, they're not going to stomp all over it. Like you said, yeah. And when I, and when I tell them an idea, they're not going to steal it either. They're, they're people that I can trust to help me really think through, form it, create the idea and go forward with it. And I think that you have to be careful when you are creating that in the beginning. And then as you go forward, you gain more courage and it's okay. People ask me, how did you get to be so courageous? Now, I never even thought about myself as a courageous person until I kept hearing that over and over and over again. And somebody said, what do you hear about yourself over and over and over again? That is part of not only who you are, but the message you have to bring for the world. Right. Your brand, your personal yeah. brand too. Yeah. And so courage was one of those things. And I was like, wow, why do you think I'm courageous? And people would say, because you're fearless, you go after this, you go after that, you'll just do it, you'll figure out a way. Well, what I found out was that courage is built with baby steps. Mm. Courage is not something you just are born with. 
And when I wrote Gems of Wisdom, I wrote into there a lot of the different ways that I built courage. But in writing that book was when I came to that kind of amazing realization that it was baby steps. So every time you do something small and you succeed, or you do something small and you fail, but you try again and then succeed, it's every time you do something small and succeed, you now know you can do it. And then you take another step and you can do it. And so courage, people who have courage, are people who have succeeded in small ways until they know that they can take the leap in a big way. And courage is facing something when you don't know what the result is going to be. But you often have enough, you gain your confidence through those little baby steps to leap in courage. And a lot of people um, who leap in courage and they do these amazing things where they, they die to self and yet they save someone else. It's because those kinds of people are made way back. They're made through all the little things that happen in their life. It's very rare when you'll see somebody leap out in, in courage to save somebody without thinking that they haven't already done many tiny little things along the way. If you right. examine that person, you know, in their life. Right. Those little micro choices, you know, the little right. micro choices, you know, do you, do you, you know, I know this sounds silly for me, but you know, cause I'm, I'm highly educated from a top university, but when I went to get my spin certification, you know, to teach indoor cycling at 50 years old, <laughs> I hadn't taken a test. You know, I hadn't taken a test, Angela, like studied for anything since <laughs> I graduated with my master's degree at like 21. I'm now 50. Like other than like helping my kids study for a test, like I had so much test anxiety. There were going to be 300 questions. I had to answer 75% of them right. There was yeah. math in there. I hadn't done math. Like I crapped out of math with my kids in fourth grade. Like, you know, <laughs> I can't help you anymore. Like get on the internet, use photo math, like do something. Cause I, I can't help you. And I really had to sit down and, you know, I didn't have to do this. Right. I really didn't. There was nobody that put a gun to my head and said, hey, get fitness certified. There was nobody that said, hey, specialize in senior fitness, do these add-on classes. Like mm -hmm. nobody told me to do that. And then when it came to crunch time, I really, I sat there the night before the test and I'm like, I was so nervous. I was yeah. more nervous about that. I took physics, you know, <laughs> I took these really hard <laughs> classes in college and here I am stumped by a spin bike. But you know, I had to breathe through it. And during the test, you know, it's a time test. It was online. It was open book. I had notes everywhere, like all over. And, you know, I ended up getting like a 94 and I wanted to know what six I missed, you know, I'm that person. Yes. I'm, I'm that person. person too. Yeah. But I sweated buckets and I came out when I was done with it. I was waiting for the results. They calculate the results and they say, you know, you'll get them within, I don't know, X amount of time. And I come out and my dad's like, well, did you just come back from the gym? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I took the test. Yep. But I, I really didn't believe I could, you know, and it was weird. And I was like, and I'm like, well, what's the worst I could do? I could fail. I could take it again. Like, you know, but it's, it's all those beliefs. It's all those thoughts in our head. And, you know, you've been taking classes too. You've been doing all this genealogy stuff. Like, did you have an experience like that at all when you, when you first went back and started? 
Oh, I have them every time now because I, I'm going to be 55 when I graduate. <laughs> and, uh, and I absolutely love what I'm studying. I'm, you know, I am studying genealogy and I'm getting my uh, credentials in, in Scottish and English and, of course, general genealogy. And I, I plan to continue after that and just keep adding on specialties um, because it fascinates me. But I've had a couple of the different classes that were harder for me to understand, whether it was the way the professor communicated or whether it was more statistics, you know, things like that. Uh, I just, I would get so frustrated. And I'll tell you, right now, I have straight A's and a B. And the thing that's driving me absolutely nuts, I'm actually considering retaking the class I got the B in. And my husband is just fit to be tied with me. He's like, I don't understand you. Oh, I would be the same way. I'm like, you, you, yeah, I know you don't understand, but this means I didn't learn something. Right. I want to know what I did. Right. And so I said, whether I actually take the class again or not, I'm going to reread the material because I'm so frustrated that I got to be, you know, it's like, I thought I knew that stuff. And, and then I went back and I looked at all the questions I missed and I'm like, how did I miss that? And I, it just, it drives me crazy to not understand something. Part of the other part of that, part of the other part of that, boy, that was good English (laughs) though, is because then I speak on a lot of the things that I learn and something that I, just a gift from God that he gave me is that I can ingest information and then I can teach it in a way that's easier for other people to understand. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that tells me that if I didn't figure out something in that process that I can't teach it properly either. Right. And so that, that kind of drives me crazy, but you know, going to college in my fifties and graduating, you know, hopefully I'll graduate at 55 here before I turn, I'll turn 56. Uh, as long as they hold the graduation ceremony before my birthday in June, <laughs> I want to do the double nickel thing. I just want to, <laughs> But, it, but again, it's how you think thing of things. It's, um, I want to achieve a certain thing, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that. Right. In the process of going to school, I have written uh, four or five books, you know, for to contract. And I've done quite a few speaking seminars and workshops and conferences. And uh, we've married. This is our second kid that got married during this you know, period of time. And, um, it's, so it's been, there's been a lot of other life and things going on around it. And the the thing that I don't understand is when somebody shuts down and says, well, I can only focus on my kid's wedding, or I can only focus on this one thing, school, or I can only focus on, but life, we, even as women, business women, we are much more involved in all of life. I, I love, I have a friend, um, Pam Farrell. She and her husband wrote a book. Um, men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti or something like that, <laughs> you know, and it's true because we are intermingled into all of these different yes. layers of life. Like so, tentacles. Yes. And so it bothers me when, when a, a woman particularly says, Oh, I can't do that. I have too much going on. And then I ask her, well, what's going on? And she'll say one thing. Right. Um, because that's a belief. It's a limiting right. belief that right. she can only do this one thing. And then I'm like, why can't you do the and other? And she is right. 
She is yeah. right. Cause if you carry that belief, you know, whenever, whenever I, when I'm coaching my clients and, and they say, I can't, or I won't, they give me some definitive statement. And I'm like, why? Because right. if we don't challenge our own beliefs, you know, like I can't ride a 20 minute mile. I really thought that a year and a half ago, Monday night, I did a 23 or not, I did 23 miles in an hour on my bike. Wow. wow. Right. And I, you know, I never thought I would even hit 20. And mm-hmm. so my belief shifted because I proved something to myself, but I'm like, I wonder if I would have gotten to the 20 mile in an hour mark much earlier than 18 months. If my belief was different, you know, right. what could this woman do that you were talking about? If her belief shifted, even from, Instead of saying I can't, like I, I don't like to use that word because I think it limits me. Mm-hmm. I will say I don't want to, but I can't, you know, I can't turn back time. Right. But then I found out when I went on this whole nutrition, fitness, you know, everything in my 50s, I went into my doctor recently and he's like, you have the heart rate of a 28 year old. You have, <laughs> right. You have the body fat of a, a typical 40 year old. You know, I'm, so with all my nutritional and fitness changes and, and attending to my sleep and rest and meditation. So I'm not too stressed. Did I turn back time? Yeah. I did in the medical papers. That is phenomenal. I'm, I'm now in the process of starting to redo all that. In my forties, I was in phenomenal shape. And I felt like I could conquer the world. And then I had a major car accident and I broke my neck, broke my shoulder. And then right after I got through, hurt my back, you know, got through two years of recovery from that, had the fall on the treadmill, um, broke my ankle and my, my foot up up toward the front, um, did all sorts of crazy things. And so then that was another couple of years of recovery and, it was, I had somebody say to me, it was kind of snide, but you know, it's like, I thought you were always going to be so healthy and you know, that kind of thing. You were going to be healthier than all of us. And I said, I can't control car accidents or, you know, breaking my foot that, you know, those were accidents. Right. So, so at the point that I am, I'm the healthiest I can be from all that recovery. And so here I am at 55 starting over. And when I was 45 to, you know, I was so healthy. So it's like starting over and setting my mind that my business is going to be healthy. My body is going to be healthy. My mind is going to be healthy. I can, I can say all those things to myself. Oh, I can never do this again. I can never be the weight I was before. I can never have, you know, the muscles or the ability I had before because this stopped me. Or, like you said, belief, you know, I can work out. I can watch what I eat. I can uh, do these things again. And I will get as healthy as I possibly can. Right. Regardless of whatever that is. And I can have the healthiest business I can possibly have. Right. Well, and it's about, it's about shifting, right? You shift that mindset from focusing on the things you can't do to focusing on what can I do? 
Right. You know, a lot of times when people ask me to do things, I can't do what they're asking me to do. There's not enough of me. You know, I can't go to this event. I can't do the speaking thing. I can't do this appearance. I can't, I really can't. Mm -hmm. And so when people ask me these things, I think about, well, what can I do? So they're like, Sandra, we'd like you to come to fly to Houston to do this. And I know I have two kids, my dad to take care of a company to run. And I'll say, you know, that sounds great. What I can do is I can be patched in on the big screen and I can give you an hour, um, you know, but if it's traveling and things like that, you know, here's what I can do. I've and, done that. I've yeah, done and exactly they do and the they take thing. it. Yeah. We had some big events where, you know, thousands of people and it clashed with another event and I couldn't, there was no possible way to get on a plane from one place to another with all these different things happening. So it was, can you patch me in? I'll teach on yeah. Skype, right. you know, or whatever. Right. Zoom or any, you know, any number of these things. Um, because, you know, the other thing is sometimes, um, and it's not just a proximity thing, you know, like being two places at once. But my belief system changed when I got divorced, when I turned 40, you know, my mom died all around the same time. And my belief system changed in myself that I was an inexhaustible resource designed to serve <laughs> others. Right, right, right. <laughs> to someone who is precious and worth caring for so that she can continue to do her work for others. Yes. And that shift in me made the difference of, you know, when I get offered gigs, do I take them? I look at how many hours on the plane. I look at how many hours away from my kids. I look at the number of people I'm going to be exposed to. Because, you know, you do these big events, you get sick. Oh, I, my gosh. You get sick and you get exhausted. Yep. And like, I'm just kind of, I'm coming off of I have another big event, um, and it will be one solid month of big oh. events. And, you know, I have a Fitbit, right? And on my Fitbit, um, you can do how many steps you take is most important yep. or how much you eat is most important or whatever. Mine is how much I sleep. Yes. Because I, you know, you go to these big events and often I'll get two to three hours of sleep. So I'm changing that belief system to care for my body. Like you're saying, if I get the sleep I need, then I'll make the right choices I'll make wise choices. I'll make wise choices for food. I'll make wise choices and be capable of exercise, you know, and I'll have a smarter brain <laughs> functioning. So maybe I'll say less things where I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> right. Well, somebody taught me, and I don't know what, what, you know, what discipline or belief system this was from, but they said, Sam, before you answer, halt. Like halt stood for check if you're hungry. If you're angry, if you're lonely, or you're tired. And when I go on the road and I do these things, more often than not, I've been blowing through the day, so I'm hungry. Right. And I'm angry at myself because I didn't get to the gym. I overslept. I, I didn't, whatever I didn't do. Didn't hold your boundaries. You exactly. Yeah. And then lonely. I miss my kids. I miss my friends. I miss my bed. I miss my dogs. Like, you know, I go through this whole thing. And then I'm usually... A lot of times, by the time I get there, I'm already exhausted. Yes. There's so much. I, I often stay up the night before. Yes. Because I'm worried that I've forgotten something. So what I've started to do 
now to change that belief system that I've always forgotten something or I'm going to miss something. Now I create lists and I start up to a week ahead for some, if I'm going to be gone for a week or more, I start a week ahead. I'll pull out the, the bags, whether it's my briefcase or my suitcase, and I put the main things in it. And then I have a list for all the other things, and literally check off my list. And for the first time, this, uh, for this big week one I went to in June, I actually went to bed at a reasonable hour. First time. Very because good. it was a process of why do I always do this? Right. And interrupting that habit to create a new habit. Mm-hmm. I was really proud of myself. <laughs> I am really proud of you too. Yeah. I mean, I just did a quick turnaround in New York. I was in New York for like seven days for a job and my friends told me this great idea, which I did. I haven't re-traveled since then. I'll let you know I'm going back to New York at the end of the month for a couple of weeks. So, but I did what they advised me to do. The day after I got home from New York, everything was laundered and cleaned and whatever. I repacked my travel bag stuff. Yeah. So my toiletry bag, my, you know, like, cause you use stuff. And then if you wait like three, four weeks before another trip, then you're like, I got to buy you this, do, do this, whatever. And I repacked all the things that I used because quite frankly, I don't have, you know, like, I'm not running around in, you know, Gucci pants, you know? Right. So if I put my, and my travel business wear is not something I wear every day. So I laundered it and put it back in there. So it's interesting because the, the suitcase is kind of packed and I put some sneaker balls in there. So everything would smell fresh in a dryer seat, which is what I was told to do. Yeah. I, I, love I that. redid I like all my toiletries and stuff. So it's all ready to go. And I love your idea of combining it with the checklist because you know how, when you get back after a long trip, you're like, I wish I had, I wish I did. I bought this. Like it's all fresh in your head. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah, because my friends who do a lot of touring, you know, for their books and their products, they're like, yeah, they have their travel clothes and it stays in their travel suitcase. They have like all their stuff already. And then there's, it's really no surprise. It's kind of a neat idea. I think that's the way we need to kind of look at all of the different things I have on my board here on my wall, what the next books and the next projects are to work on. And as I think of them, I put them there so I don't have to let them right, to keep them in your head. Right. And I've heard of people that, you know, I, I actually use um, Google calendars and uh, lists now because I find the Google calendar gives me a great reminder but I find that when it's written on a list, it helps me to actually do it that day. So the daily list in the Google calendar for like the big overview really kind of helped me keep myself on task. And I think part of the problem that people have in believing whether they can do something is that everything feels overwhelming. Yes. And organ and disorganized. Like I'm not, Mm-hmm. And that's like when you talk about that bird's eye view, I know I'm a tech person, but you'll laugh at me. I'm a paper girl and right. I actually rip oh. my planner apart and I hook it together in little one month mini packets. Oh, I like that idea. You look my to do's every day and my appointments are busy. Yes. And I have to carry, if something doesn't get done, I have to carry it over to the next day. So instead of carrying those big planners apart, because your, your luggage gets heavy. Yes. All I did was take it apart and then I used the plastic, you know how everybody binds with those plastic comb clips? Mm-hmm. You just cut a little comb off individually 
and hook them in there and it's and it's bound. I mean, you could have a fancy binding if you want, but I find to carry 30 days with me is sufficient. And then yeah. if I get to mid-month and I know I'm going to travel, I take the pages I don't want out and I add them in. Or sometimes I put two months if I'm getting close to the next month, you know, because there's just little plastic clips. You can, you can, you know, cut them down anyway. But that helps me stay. But the other thing that I do is I like to see, and I know it's a little duplication, mm-hmm. my week at a glance. Mm-hmm. And I put my deadlines, you probably can't see it, but I, you know, I put my deadlines on my monthly calendar. So I know when stuff is due and you can look and go, wow, I'm getting really close. So you, when you come closer to certain deadlines and benchmarks that you don't see on a day-to-day basis, when you look at it as a month spread or a week spread, Mm -hmm. you can make better decisions for your business. Because yeah. I can go, you know, I don't have a whole lot of, of, tomorrow I don't have any client meetings whatsoever. And I'm going to the beach and I'm going to take my kids to the beach. Well, I know after about an hour and a half, I'm going to get bored. It's yeah. just me. That's me too. I, you know, I have to have something for my brain to be doing. Yes. Uh, I think that has to do with the personality type as well. Yeah. Because my, my husband could sit on the beach and literally let it all go away, you know, but I, I feel the that way. And my brain is just constantly going. And so I, I, need, I need something to be doing. And so I'm trying to do things that are not, they're not so technical that I'm relaxing. So I think I know where you're going with this, but yep. you keep going and I'll Yeah, because I'm going to take these with me and I'm going to look at what's upcoming and what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to think. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, and I have my, you know, since it's it's got plenty of place for notes and papers and it's so tiny, it'll fit in my beach bag, you know, I can sit there and I can look at it and I can put it away so it doesn't annoy the crap out of everybody else around me working on the beach. You know what I mean? Because that's always a sore spot. But I can take my little journal or my little, I use these little disposable ones, you know, they're like 30 pages each. Oh, nice. And I carry them with me because they're discreet. They're pretty. You know, they're like three for $5 and they're not heavy. Um, This one's made by Molly and Rex, um, but they're just pretty. And they go in my bag. And then when I start working, I can, I can put my shopping list down. I can put my um, office supply list. I can brainstorm some projects And then I can sit back in my beach chair and very happily think about them. And am I working like I'm working at my desk? No. But am I working in a way that allows me to relax? Because sometimes in the middle of that process, Ange, I fall asleep. You know, Sandra, it's the same thing for me that I need to allow myself that time. You could even call it daydreaming if you want to. Yes. You know, but... If my mind can work through all of those upcoming things, those issues, I am so much better prepared for it. Yes. And, I, and I'm so much more positive about it. And I think this is a concept that is probably crucial to this discussion today. It's when we get into overwhelm, it's because we haven't let our mind work through that whole thing and understand how it might fall into place. And so you were going exactly where I thought you were going because um, – we have this huge family reunion this week and I'll, we'll have some drive time there and that's great. But I plan on taking a notebook and in my spare time, I plan on just jotting those flyaway thoughts down. 
And then next week when we come home, I, I have a edits due back on the book that I just finished and I'll work on that. And I have plans then to sit down and go through the list I have to do, go through what I want to prepare for promotions for this coming up um, fall and winter and the projects that I want to work on. And I'm going to sit down and schedule them. And when I schedule, I start with when is it due to be out? Right. So, and right. Then you I back it, right. You backwards. begin with the end in mind. You back, yeah. you back it out. Yeah. And then um, what, what went wrong for me this year, and I think sometimes when we discuss what goes wrong, it helps so that yes. other people. So what went wrong for me this last um, year from January to July, basically, I did not block out any days off. I blocked out major important events like the wedding, like the conference. I did block those out, but I didn't block out any days off. And so I ended up getting myself backed up into a corner because I did have school. I did have work. I did have personal things going on um, that I, uh, family issues that I needed to be a part of um, because I'm, I'm part of the decision-making team for some members of our family. And I didn't block off any downtime for me. And I didn't even realize that until we got to middle of June and it was way too late. But there was no blocked out days for me to rest and breathe, you know. And I had blocked out the month or so that I needed to write the book to finish it. But I didn't block out days off in there. So I got overwhelmed. Yeah. So when I, and that's not normal for me. And how I didn't think of that was because I didn't take the time at the beginning of the year, like I usually do, or I really like doing it quarterly and monthly. Yes. Well, that's so important you say that because you said two really important things that, Mm -hmm. you know, I've implemented this year and it's caused my business profitability to shoot through the roof. Mm -hmm. Number one, you said thinking. You know, we are so busy doing and going from project to project, to creating, to writing, to teaching, to coaching, to talking, to writing, to teaching, to coaching. And then you get praised for, wow, look at everything you can do. Yes, but there's no time to really think. And I don't block out thinking time. Every week now, I block out four hours of thinking time. Now, during my thinking time, I might go walk around the mall. I might go walk in the park. You know, I don't sit at my computer, stare and think. No, you can't. You need I to grab my, house. you know, I showed you, I grab my little journals, my little paper things, my throwaway mm-hmm. stuff and a pen. And I bring my phone and sometimes I listen to music like, and I just think. And it's amazing how when you carve out a space, you know, I know some CEOs, I work with some really big CEOs that target two days a month just to think. It's crucial. I mean, it's yeah. crucial. You know, you don't even think about like, cause it gets back to those beliefs that we don't need downtime. We don't need time to think we don't need, you know, especially when you're kind of type a personalities like you and I are <laughs> yeah, and we For get sure. so much done and we can, mm-hmm. you know, and we can. And if you had to get it done without that downtime and you would, of course, but there's a better way. Like that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about it's about having the belief that there can be a better, kinder way to your life, your body, your relationships, all those things, and still have and experience great success. That's been my 
my biggest thing since turning 40 and, and definitely, you know, getting divorced at 40 and having small kids and, you know, having to run a company and figuring out how to do it. How do I do all this and get what I want out of life without killing myself? Right. And I think that's a, that is a belief system yep. because um, we are programmed as wives and moms and caregivers, uh, caregivers. Yeah. And we, we both have all of that going on. Right. And I, you know, and I want to be supportive because um, I was divorced and remarried and uh, learned a lot in that process. And I want to be supportive to my husband and to all of our children. We have a combined family of six grown children. And now with the wedding on Saturday, we now have six boy cubs and a guppy, you know, <laughs> and you want to be available to all of them and you want to do what you can do to be a part of their lives and help their lives to be better. But if you don't take that time out to think, to regroup, you know, to rest, there isn't enough of you to go around. No. And so to believe in yourself, you have to make sure that you carve out time to care for yourself. And this is really important to allow yourself to go after your own dreams. Yes. There's so many people relying on us as, as women, as, as, you know, spouses, even men too. And I'm not trying to just say just women, right? But there's so many people relying on us that we need to constantly be giving to that uh, at one point, it was 2009, and um, I was already well into my 40s, right? And um, my husband didn't know what he was saying to me so much. He just kept thinking, later, there'll be a better time later. There'll be a, you know, if you want to write, you know, we just got to do this first, then you can do that. Well, I was already turning 45. And it's like, if I'm going to do this, when am I going to do this? Right. You know, our kids, and I said to him, our kids are going to grow up. They're going to get married. Bingo, bingo, bingo. They're going to go to college. And I have had taken a lot of like online classes and had gotten certified in the job I needed to do to do the job I needed to do. But it wasn't any of my dreams, not any of them. And so it was like, I was already turning 45. When was I going to do my dream? When I was 85, 95, when it was too late, when? Right. And so, and then how long would I get to live through the joy of achieving my dream? Right. And so what I'm saying is that if you're going to achieve your dream or your goal in your lifetime, when are you going to start? And that meant for me, uh, turning my family life upside down because I had been working in our heating and air conditioning company, uh, day in and day out running kids from three o'clock to nine o'clock every night, then going back into the office and working for another two hours and then getting up in the morning, making sure they're all off and, you know, going to work. There was no time in there ever that I had ever done anything I dreamed of. Well, and And that's like, you know, I just want to interrupt you for a second because it's like running a race and we as women, and I'm not going to say men don't do this, but I can't speak on behalf of them. I can only speak on behalf of, of myself. Right. And I know that for from the time I was about 20, when I got married and I had my children and, you know, now my kids are, you know, 10, 15 years old. So it's a little different. But um, I was running a race with no map. Right. I got up. 
And I started running and I ran to soccer and I ran to baseball and I ran to work and I ran to my husband's business and I ran to this and I ran to that and I ran, ran, ran. There was no carved out time to think about what was I doing? Because I didn't even have any dreams at that point because I was running. I was running everywhere. And sometimes there'd be like a minute of downtime and I'd feel so dissatisfied because not everybody's satisfied with child raising as a sole pursuit. Not everybody's satisfied with marriage as a sole pursuit. Some of us are wired differently. And they're valuable pursuits. I loved being a mother. I loved raising my children. But I felt called to write. Exactly. And so how was I going to do that? I didn't even have an education to write. I had to start from the beginning. And, you know, but it was very drastic for us because I literally, I turned in a letter of resignation. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I think it ended up saving our marriage because we were working together constantly and uh, there was so much that was falling on me for house care, child care, yes. um, the finances of the business and all this kind of stuff. That was all on me. And I hate finances. So again, this comes back to what's your belief system. I know I hate finances. There's nothing about belief system in it. It's not what I want to do. I have upper level financial management certifications because it was required for the job. Never once was I happy doing that. It wasn't what I was born to do. Right. So my belief system was, I have to do this because I have to do this for my family. But, and I tried to be happy. I tried to be joyful with it, but it wasn't what I was made to do. So sometimes you have to recognize that if you're doing a job you hate, I hate numbers with a passion, then it maybe is time to consider that you're in the wrong job and you're in the wrong, you know, position. What is it that you're truly meant to do? What gives you joy and what gives you joy in your everyday living? I love the, the writing life, the writing industry, and now going toward what my true dream. Okay, here you go. Here's the biggie, Sandra. I always, 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 have wanted to write movies, always. I didn't believe I could write movies and write screenplays and do something that seemed so out of the ordinary and so big from a girl in the suburbs and a girl who now lives in the country in Montana, right? I thought that was so unreachable that I I did books instead. And I love writing books. I've always loved doing that. But that deep down dream that I pushed down and wouldn't let come out for the longest is just now coming out. And I'm finally writing screenplays. Now I have a contract for a, uh, to write a TV series, a pilot to see that doesn't mean they're buying it, but it gives me the opportunity to explore it. And I, I know I don't know enough yet. So mm-hmm. my belief system now has gone to, I can do this. I just need to learn how. Right. The talent is there. The desire is there. The ability is there. The contract is there. The willingness is there. The willingness. Because it's work. You know, all of this stuff is a lot of work. How? And that's the thing is a lot of people, 
they get stopped by, I don't know how to do it. Right. So my belief system was, it's too far out of my reach. It's too far out of my ability. Nobody's ever encouraged me in this, blah, blah, blah. So I never told anybody about that dream. So now it's possible because I made the steps of learning to write articles, learning to write devotionals, learning to write nonfiction, learning to write fiction books. I made the steps to where, oh, she can write and she can get paid to write. Yes. Why can't I learn to write that then? Right. It's right. It's just another skill. Yeah. And so I think sometimes when people believe they can't do something, it's because they haven't tried to learn the skill to do it. Right. And they're right. Because when you believe you can't do something, you don't even try. Mm-hmm. So if you believe you can't, you're done. Like you're dead in the water. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm the 1% girl all the time. It's like if there's even 1% of shred of hope, you know, and I learned <laughs> this. Yeah, my, my oldest brother had, had three different cancers at one time when he was 25, oh, wow. 26 years old. And my dad took him to the Mayo Clinic. He was treated at Sloan Kettering in New York. You know, everything to save, you know, his son who was sick. And I kept hearing these percentages like, oh, you know, less than, you know, he had three different cancers at once. And one cancer was like, well, less than 6% survive. Well, less than 20% survive. Well, less than 5% survive. You know, I kept hearing this with my parents talking about my brother. And my brother was doing all sorts of treatments and chemotherapy and stuff. And I remember my mom and dad going, you know what, even if it's 0.0001% chance, we're going for it. And at one point, my brother was so sick, my father, and he was like 25, 26 years old, my father carried him out to the car because he's like, I don't want the treatments, I don't want to do it anymore. You know, it was a reaction just to fatigue and everything. And my parents were like, you know, you're almost done And my dad carried him. I saw him carry my brother out the door, put him in the car and say, we're going to go to the hospital. We're going to finish this. Then we'll figure it out. We'll figure out the next step, but you got to finish it. And he's 57 today and married and happy. And, you know, the 25% or 20%, the 6%, the 5%, I remember the lowest one doctor gave was less than 3%. Wow. So what is the percentage you need to try? Right. To me, it's 0.0001. And that's what it felt like to me. I mean, I started learning how to do things. I learned the little things first, that courage, that confidence. You build your confidence in doing little things. And when you have enough confidence that you've done something little, sometimes you can take that leap. And um, going to learning by reading the craft books. What's the craft book of the dream you have? Mine was writing. What's yours? You know? And if and you can't read, there's YouTube. There's and there's audio books. Audio books. Like, like you name it, you yeah. know, you got it. You just, you have to go for it. You know, and I hate to cut you off, but we're at the end of our show. Angela Breidenbach, please tell us a little bit more about how people can reach you and, and you know, where to find you. Thank you. Well, as a nod to LinkedIn, you can find me at Ange Breidenbach on all social media, including LinkedIn. And uh, my website is AngelaBreidenbach.com. And we are moving more this fall into some news and writer stuff. So our blog is Amusings, which is found at AngelaBreidenbach.com. And I thank you so much for having me, Sandra. You're welcome. You're welcome. AngelaBreidenbach.com. 
0.000. I could go on and on for zeros. 1%. Go for it. We'll be back again next week.